0: God, I pray that we would worship your name. We would lift your name high. Uh, I pray you speak through Michael. You speak through your word. That you just open our hearts to hear it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning again and welcome. Good to see each and every one of you. Glad that uh, you made it out or down or around pieces of ice and snow. But it's a, it's a beautiful morning, and it's good to see each and every one of you. Um, our mission statement is that we would glorify God as Christ-centered and spiritually vibrant people of biblical integrity. Um, part of what it means to be Christ-centered is that we, we really do center everything that we do, should center everything that we do, around the person of Christ. One, one of the ways that we do that is participating in the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. And we will do that again this morning. Um, and if you are, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to participate in the table uh, with us. If you have little ones, we trust as parents that you know their heart and their spiritual state uh, and can help monitor them appropriately. One of the things I love uh, about this church as I look out at the people that are sitting out there is the faithfulness of you. One of the ways that's demonstrated is in uh, the marriages and the, the longevity of the marriages that we have in this body. Uh, it's an encouragement uh, to me, and it's encouragement to uh, lots of other people, whether you realize or recognize that or not. Um, and so I'm, I'm thankful. One of the things that, that when people... I talk to people that, that I know from Texas or other places they tell me about your church, and one of the things that comes up often... In those conversations, is is that um, we have lots of people that that have stayed married for a long, long time. uh, And that's encouraging. And so I just want to thank you and encourage you, encourage you because uh, marriage is not easy. Uh, It's difficult. And if anybody ever wants to tell you otherwise, those of you who are single, don't let them do that. Um, It's hard, um, but it's worth it. and it brings numerous blessings to our lives. Uh, marriage is a wonderful gift of God that we have. And um, it's just one way we demonstrate faithfulness to the world is in the way we treat and care and love for our spouses. And so let me encourage you to do that. We're going to look at faithfulness this morning from Genesis chapter 40. Actually, we're going to start the end of 39. Um, in verse 20 is where we're going to start uh, of 39. So if you want to be turning there... And we are going to, uh, I'm going to look at a little bit of this, then we're going to stop um, and take communion together, and then I'm going to finish talking about the passage, and hopefully that will make sense to you as we we go along. So I want to start this morning by reading. Uh, Again, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 39, verse 20, and then read through the end of 40 together. So let's look at His Word together. Verse 20, Moses writes So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Then it came about, after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with these two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation, the three baskets are three days. Within three more days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants." And he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let's pray. Father, we look at your word. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. I pray that you would keep us from distraction, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, and ultimately our wills, God, that we would be faithful and do what you've called us to do. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. One of the things we learn from this passage is that Joseph was faithful in the favor of God. Um, The text states very clearly that God uh, was with Joseph in verse 21, extended kindness to him and gave him favor. The same thing that happened in Pharaoh's house. He's been removed from Pharaoh's house and put in the jail. It seems possibly on the same property. We'll look at that in a little more detail in a second. Uh, But he was faithful in God's favoring. How do we know he was faithful? Look at verse 22. The chief jailer committed Joseph's charge, all the prisoners who were in jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. Uh, Even though God favored him, and even though God made the chief jailer look on him favorably, Joseph still performed what he was called to do responsibly. He had an assignment. Uh, We might be tempted to say, well, you know, he could have just sloughed off and it would have been okay. God would have allowed everything to be fine. But nonetheless, the text says that he was responsible and he fulfilled the duties that he was called to do. Same thing in verse 23. He wasn't just sitting around twiddling his thumbs. It says, whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Joseph took action. Joseph did things. And through that faithfulness, God prospered what He did. But it wasn't just actions. He wasn't just going through the motions. He was faithful to the people that that were put into His care. How do we know that? Well, it's easy, for those of you especially who have employees, who have people that work for you, it's easy to give them a task and not be concerned about them, not care about them. But you know as well as I do that that you spend time with people, you get to know them, you care for them, you love them. You know if they came into office one day and things weren't going well, you would know, right? You would understand. If you get to know people, you know when things aren't right. You can tell. And that happened with Joseph. He shows up, these two officials show up and in verse 7, he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why aren't your faces so sad? it's not just that he had these prisoners and he made sure they got fed and he made sure that they got what they needed he knew enough about them that he knew that they were sad faithfulness is not just i'm going to check all my boxes off faithfulness is i've been given a task and i'm going to do it with excellence i'm going to do it well And that's a challenge to us because God has given everybody in here a responsibility of some sort. From the youngest of us who have chores to do to the oldest of us who have kids and spouses and people that we're responsible for and employees. Are we being faithful? Are we being responsible with what God has put in our care in the same way that Joseph was? But we probably ought to back up a little bit. You say, well, but Joseph was favored and and he knew that. And Joseph knew God was on his side. Well, it's easy to be responsible when you know God's got your back with everything, right? Do we know that, that God has favored us? Turn over with me to the book of Ephesians for just a moment. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. I want to remind you, we've done this before, I think, in here. I want to remind you of how God has favored you. If you ever wonder, if you ever not sure, if you ever think, has God, does God care about me? Has, God, has He done anything for me? Has He, has he favored me in any way? Then, then open your Bible to the book of Ephesians and just read through the first three chapters. There is a, an overwhelming list of what God has done for us. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. He chose us. In Him, before the foundation of the world, we have been chosen. Look at verse 5. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. We've been adopted. We were orphaned and, and loose and on our own and unloved. And He brought us into His family. Verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace, same word is in Greek that the Hebrew word "favor is that, that Joseph had, which he freely bestowed on us. It was a, a favor, Grace was a free gift. Verse seven, in him, we have redemption through his blood. We've been redeemed. The forgiveness of our trespasses. We've been forgiven. Verse 8, He lavished in us, I'm sorry, in all wisdom and insight He made known to us the mystery of His will. We've been given an insight that, that for hundreds and thousands of years, the people of the Old Testament didn't quite grasp clearly. Some did, we think, but it was a mystery. And you and I, because of the place and the time we live, have been given insight into what God's up to, His big plan. Verse 11, in Him also we've obtained an inheritance. There there is a future planned out for each of us that's better than anything that you might could imagine here on earth. Verse 13, in Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Just like a, a king's... Ring that would seal something that showed ownership but also protection. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Him saying, you are mine and I will protect you. One more in chapter 1. Verse 22. He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him, Christ as head over all things, to the church. He gave His Son to the church as head, as authority and leader, the one that would go before us. You've been given Christ. Chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. You've been... Reborn. You've been made alive. You were dead. And now you have life. Verse 6, He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. You were earthbound and tied to sin and tied to the ways of this world. And He's raised us up. He's lifted us out of all of that. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, you have been saved. We were drowning. We were, as David writes in more than one psalm, sinking in the miry mud, muck, clay. We've been saved. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, before the cross, if you wanted to approach God, you had to approach God through a priest. You really were far off. You couldn't enter into the Holy of Holies. You couldn't even enter into the temple proper. But now through the blood of Christ, you've been brought near. As the writer of Hebrews says, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Verse 14, He Himself is our peace. We've been given peace. The end of verse 14, He made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. See, the, the problem was not that we just couldn't go in the temple as, as Gentiles, which I think everybody in here is. You couldn't even get that close. There was a, there was a barrier in the way. <laughs> you were really far off. That's been broken down. And there's not this distinction anymore of of God's people and everybody else. You, You have an opportunity wherever you came from, whatever your background, whatever your past, whatever your nationality, whatever your ethnicity. Part of God's people. Verse 16, we've been reconciled. Verse 18, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are a part of God's household. You're not just the slave that sleeps in the slave quarters. You get to come into the house. You're part of His family. Chapter 3, verse 6, you've been made partakers of the promise. Paul, speaking of that promise long, long ago even to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, you get to partake not only of that blessing through Christ, but to partake of extending that blessing to other people as you now bear Christ to the world. As Paul writes, you are ambassadors for Christ. The favor the blessing of of getting to be god 's image, not broken anymore but transformed and redeemed to shine the light of Christ to the world and what 's interesting is Paul bookmarks all of those things between two other things. We could go back to chapter one. In verse 3, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then he lists 16 or 17 or 18 or 20 of them. And in case that wasn't enough, in case you're thinking, yeah, but what about... He ends that section by saying, now to Him who was able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Right? If that list is not enough, remember you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And if you can't can't wrap your mind around, around that, that's okay because He's done more than we can ask or think. Far more abundantly than we can ask or think. Whatever your wildest imaginations are of the goodness of God, He's better than that. So, do you know how God has gifted you? These ways, for sure, but what's interesting is He's also gifted us with specific things, specific spiritual gifts the bible calls and what's interesting is both in romans and in ephesians paul relates those spiritual gifts things like serving and teaching and helps and administration things like that he links those with the word grace the word favor the same thing that god granted to joseph So do you know your spiritual gift? Do you know how God has specifically wired you to serve the body of Christ? Now, there are things you can buy and take spiritual gift inventories. What I've found that works better is, is that you take a step of faith and you do something. And and you see if that works. And then you get people in your life to, to honestly evaluate, hey, did I do a good job of that? And, and get people to give you input and say, you know... That may not be the best thing, but what about this? And you, you keep trying things, you keep doing things until you find what clicks, what you enjoy, what people say you're good at. And then be faithful doing those things. But you know what's, what's amazing? Back in Ephesians chapter 1, he says that he gave Christ to the church. Because we think, well, but faithfulness is hard because life is hard. Yeah, it is. And sometimes I'm frustrated and it's hard to be faithful, but we have the best example in the world. We have Christ who was faithful in in Romans chapter 3, which I read. In the beginning, there's a verse that says, even the righteousness of Christ... I'm sorry, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Paul's very ambiguous there. That that phrase can mean the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, or it can mean the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That's That's an ambiguous phrase that in Greek can go both ways. I'm not sure he didn't mean both. There are plenty of places in Scripture where... They testify to Christ's faithfulness for us. We read in, in Hebrews chapter 12, the author says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Why is He the author of our faith? He's the beginning of our faith. He's the one that demonstrated what faithfulness looked like. Which is why now is a good time to pause and just remember what that faithfulness looked like. In the midst of a wonderful ministry, in the midst of popularity, he began talking about, in the last year of his life, that he was going to go to Jerusalem and die. He began speaking about things that maybe weren't quite so popular. He began doing things that turned even some of His own disciples against Him, thinking that that Messiah meant overthrow of Rome, but Messiah really meant overthrow of something more serious, something more deadly, overthrow of sin. And He was faithful to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so we want to pause before we move on to some specific application of what faithfulness looks like and and why we want to be faithful to just remember God's faithfulness as we partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine. We need to remember. We need to be reminded that we have a God who is faithful. That He made a promise and He always keeps His promises. As we've seen through Abraham and Isaac, And Jacob, despite the fact that there are a bunch of numbskulls, God is faithful and He continued to be faithful century after century until the time of Christ. And then He died for us. So would you take just a moment where you are? Would you spend time with God? Would you remember and rejoice in and revel in His faithfulness? At the same time, I'm asking God to reveal in your heart places where you're not faithful. Confess those to Him. Receive the forgiveness that is freely available through the blood of Christ. And then in a moment, we will uh, partake together. Would you pray? So why? Why why do we... Okay, we're told to be faithful. But, But ultimately, why should we do that? Well, it... It leads to opportunities when we're faithful. You see, we talked a couple weeks ago that that it seems that Potiphar probably knew what was up. There's an idea that, that Potiphar knew that Joseph was right and his wife was the one that was wrong. Because instead of killing him, he assigned him to prison. And it seems that prison was in the same place where Potiphar lived. Because what we find is when these two important officials of Pharaoh, the cupbearer and the baker, people that would need to have double background checks and CIA clearance because they handled his food, when they were accused of doing wrong, they were turned over, the text says, to the captain of the bodyguard, which is the same word that's used of Pharaoh in chapter thirty-eight, 39. And it talks of Joseph being in his master's house now instead of the prison. So it seems that Pharaoh now has found a way to get Joseph back back into the house. Still still a prisoner, still in charge of other prisoners. But it seems these two important officials weren't just thrown in the dungeon like Joseph, but were somehow, whether it's a, a house connected, but it seems that Potiphar is now back in charge of Joseph. His faithfulness has given him opportunity to sort of rise in the ranks. His qualities were seen, and that allowed him to have interaction with these two officials, and it gave him then an opportunity to testify to who God is. Usually, prisoners don't have a lot of opportunity to testify to someone higher up. But they had this dream. Joseph had been faithful. Hey, what's wrong? I had this dream. And he says in verse 8, Do not interpretations belong to God. I can't help you, but my God can. Tell me your dream. Right? They were, they were out of the palace. They were away from the people the magicians that could interpret these dreams and so they were stuck and they were dejected. I've had this dream. I know it means something. Joseph said, well, God takes care of those things. Tell me. Do you look at circumstances? Do you look at relationships as opportunities to testify to God's character and what he can do. See, Joseph could have looked at the circumstances and thought, "Eh, what good is this? I'm stuck. But he used those circumstances. He used the relationships that God had given him with these two officials of Pharaoh and said, maybe, maybe this is my ticket out of here. I don't know. But he used something else. He used excellence to give him opportunities. What he was called to do, he did with excellence. And everybody noticed to the point was, we want Joseph kind of in our charge. Because with Joseph comes blessings. And with Joseph comes a job well done. And so excellence and circumstances and relationships are things that give us opportunities to testify of God's goodness, to testify of His power, to testify of His ability to do things that we normally couldn't do. That's why Paul writes, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in clay pots. So that it's God who's glorified and not us. But he puts us in circumstances, he gives us relationships, and he calls us to excellence so that we have opportunities to testify to who he is. And so we're faithful because it leads to opportunities to glorify God. Finally, we need to be faithful despite difficulties. Joseph had a a hard task on his hands because... Everything was going really well up until the baker told him his dream. You see, Joseph said, I can interpret the dream for you. And sometimes we, we, we open our mouth and we take a step of faith and God puts us in a difficult situation. Now Joseph's got to give bad news. Things were going so well. The the cupbearer was going to get restored to his position, according to Joseph, and then the chief baker tells his dream, and, oh, wait, this isn't good. Uh, In three days, you're going to be hung on a tree. Your life's going to be taken. And yet, Joseph opened his mouth and spoke, God can do this, and he didn't withdraw from a hard and a painful job that he had to do he said i can i can tell you what it says or god can tell you what it says through me and even though that wasn't the most enjoyable task he was faithful in that task second he was faithful even when he was ignored right verse 23 yet the chief cupbearer did not remember joseph but forgot him And we learn in forty one that two years passed. And yet when and we'll read next time when Pharaoh had a dream, the chief cupbearer remembered, Oh, yeah, there was this guy in prison, send for him. And you know, he could have at that point in time neglected responsibility, but there's nothing in the text that says there was any hesitancy. There's still this guy, he's still there, he's still being faithful. Bad reports hadn't come about. He hadn't slacked off to the point where they said, let's get rid of him. So even though he was ignored, even though he was forgotten, it seems that Joseph remained faithful. Finally, he was faithful without any guarantee of success. Nobody promised him anything. Right? They didn't make this deal before he interpreted the dreams. I'll tell you the dream if you'll get me out. Now, afterward, he said, Hey, remember me now that I've done this, but there was no bargain made beforehand. I'll only tell you if you'll promise to do for me. He testified to God's goodness. He testified to God's power without any guarantee that it would result in anything positive for him. And that's what faithful, That's the core of faithfulness. We're faithful not for what we can get out of it. We're faithful because we've been called to be faithful. We're faithful because the goal is to glorify God. And and as we read through this story, we realize things don't go the way that we think they're going to go sometimes. In fact, for long stretches of time, things don't go the way we think they're going to go. Joseph was either a servant of Potiphar or in jail for over a decade. That's a long time to wonder what God's up to, isn't it? But He remained faithful. You and I don't have any guarantee of of reward or success by being faithful, other than those wonderful promises that we read about that we have been given an inheritance. That in God's mind already, we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. That we have been sealed for the day of His return. Now, I realize that that's removed from the day-to-day life very often. We believe that. We look to that. We long for that. I, I hope that we do. But in the midst of the day-to-day when I've got tasks to do and a family to take care of and people that I love that are hurting, sometimes that's that's hard to grasp our mind around and say that's enough. So my encouragement to you is, is as you spend time in this book, that... The utter faithfulness of God over and over and over and over and over again will remind you that His promises to you are true. And that the best promises that you have been forgiven and redeemed apply today. That you've been reconciled to a holy God apply now. That you have access to His presence applies now, today, in a couple hours. When you're faced with a difficulty in a trial, when something doesn't go the way you think it should go, you have the opportunity, wherever you are, to come before God and say, I'm lost. This doesn't make sense. Would you guide me? Would you lead me? Because He's called us to be faithful. He desires for us to be faithful, not for the sake of faithfulness, but for the sake of opportunities that others may see Him through us. And we have the great privilege of being ambassadors, being image bearers of the living God. So would you be faithful? Many of you are in so many ways, and that's so encouraging to me. But as you walk out these doors today, spend some time asking God, is there some place that I'm not being faithful? That I could be a better testimony to who You are. And then may we ultimately thank God for allowing us to be faithful in the things where we are. Would You give Him glory for the strength that is required to do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this morning and for Your love for us, for Your mercy and Your grace in Your kindness. Father, as we um, go out into the world, help us through Your Spirit to be faithful that others might see You in us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing together again.